The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. We are all so much more than our jobs. If you want to do the work of growing in your career, if you aim to spend your hours purposefully, if you believe, as I do, that part of that purpose involves love, well, this is a special episode for you. Sometimes Hello Monday is an interview show. Sometimes it's more of a conversation. Today, it's a masterclass. And along with you, I'm the student. You'll almost undoubtedly recognize our teacher by his voice. Okay, so who are you? You're not your body. You're the awareness in which the body is a changing experience. You're not your mind. You're the awareness in which the mind is a changing experience. You're not your emotions. You're the awareness in which the emotions are a changing experience. That's Dr. Deepak Chopra. He offered to come on the show at the start of the year, just as his 93rd book published. Yes, you heard that right. Dr. Chopra has written 93 books. I first learned about him when I saw him on Oprah in the 90s. I was a teenager. His voice provided the soundtrack to some of my earliest attempts at meditation. His new book is called Living in the Light, Yoga for Self-Realization. And I'll admit, when I picked it up, that I thought of yoga only as the movement classes I do on my Peloton app. But Dr. Chopra, he let someone else write that section of the book. Instead, he chose to write about the philosophy of royal yoga. It's an ancient path to transformation with a remarkably practical application. Now, I wish I could bring you into the virtual studio here, where Dr. Chopra and I met, because there's a nuance to this conversation that I don't know if you'll be able to hear. Sitting with him is a joy. He's patient, attentive, and he appears to wear the hint of a smile at all times. He's magnetic, even through a screen. The gift of Dr. Chopra's attention inspires me to want to attend. Imagine this experience for just a moment. Now here's Dr. Chopra. The first text of yoga was written by a great sage thousands of years ago. His name was Patanjali. And the word yoga means union with your true self. Your true self is not your body, it's not your mind, and it's not your experience of the world. Your true self is outside of space-time. It's what spiritual traditions usually refer to as the soul. But we don't use the word soul uh, in this tradition of yoga. The word is pure consciousness or pure awareness. And that is the ultimate goal of life, is to operate from your true self. Yuj is the Sanskrit word for yoga. It's also the English word yoke. You know, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, actually, that's a yogic statement because you're connected to the source of all experience. So living in the light literally means living from the source of all experience, including the experience that we call body and mind and the physical world. If somebody says, who's having this experience right now? Who's having this experience? You and I. 
And where is this experience happening? You'd point to your head, it's happening in my brain. If you're seeing something, you'd point to your eyes. But actually, all experience happens in consciousness or awareness. If there's no awareness, there's no experience, period. Shifting your identity from your ego identity to your divine identity is living in the light. That's what it means. And yoga is the means. Now, when we look at yoga, there are four types of yoga. So this book is called the book on royal yoga, which is translation of a Sanskrit word called Raj Yoga. And then there are other yogas. There's a yoga called Bhakti Yoga, which is yoga of love. There's a yoga of the intellect, which is science in a way, science of self-awareness. And then there's something called Karma Yoga, which is selfless service to the world. But royal yoga is eight limbs. And usually when you go to a yoga studio, you learn one. And that is how to move your physical body, which is very important. But that is the third limb of yoga. The first two limbs of yoga are based on emotional and social intelligence. When you connect to the source of all experience, when you connect to your spirit, you don't have to worry about social and emotional intelligence. It comes to you automatically. So the first two sections of the book are about principles of social and emotional intelligence. The third is understanding your body as a field of awareness. The fourth is breath and how to control your autonomic nervous system just by using your breath. There are hundreds of techniques to do that. The fifth is withdrawal of the senses and learning to know what's happening inside your body. So a good yogi can regulate their blood pressure, body temperature, immune system, hormone system. Let's call it interoceptive awareness or pratyahara or withdrawal of senses. That's the fifth. The sixth is focused attention and intention. You need attention and intention to experience anything properly. And that's the sixth. The seventh is meditation. And the eighth is transcendence. That's what this book is about. So I spent a good deal of time with your section of the book. I came away thinking, gosh, this feels a lot less daunting than I originally thought. My original yes. framework <laughs> for what might be involved in bringing yoga into my life in any way was a sense of discipline that I don't have. I'm a mother of two very young children. And, um, you know, I, I'm also not that physically fit. And I thought, well, this is not a framework for me. But instead, what you actually offer is um, you lay it out over the course of six weeks, uh, a way to begin to become familiar with this material and apply it to my life, but in a manageable and approachable way. What brought you to try to do this now? And who are the people you hope benefit from it? So, you know, on, yeah, I'm sitting in my office in my library now, and I have hundreds of books on yoga here written by the biggest authorities of yoga. And when I pick them up, they're pretty archaic. You look at a yogi in a mountain, and the background is temples, and it sounds very daunting, as you said. This is a book on the royal yoga. So I thought, yeah. who's going to read this? I, I, of course, being a academic and a scholar, I read these books written by authorities. But if I want a person like you to understand what yoga is, I have to do it properly in the English language using sentences that you and I are familiar with and are not daunting. 
And so we get the mystery out of this whole experience of yoga and actually still remained loyal to the totality of the eight limbs of yoga. Yeah. And yet there were still pieces that felt very mysterious to me, I will tell you. Um, okay. It felt to me like your book was asking me to rethink my brain as not the locus for how I navigate the world, but rather just another sensor in my physical body. Am I understanding that right? That, yeah, 100%. Your brain is like a user interface. So right now, you know, I'm on a computer, desktop computer, and that has many icons. And so if I press the icon Amazon, I'm transported into the world of Amazon. If I press Netflix, I'm transported to that world. Like that, your brain is an interface for you to experience existence. Existence of your body, existence of your mind, existence of your emotions, existence of your relationships and personal relationships, existence of your professional ecosystem, existence of nature, and existence of the universe. And the brain is like the interface with icons. You can train the brain, and this we know these days called neuroplasticity, you're not your brain. You're not even your mind. You're the source of both of those. And the brain and mind correspond to each other. The brain is what the mind looks like as a physical object. You know, so if I have to study your mind, I can look at the neural correlates. But the brain is not the source of experience in the same way this computer I'm using is not the source of experience. You and I are using the computer, but the experience is happening in awareness. So to come back to awareness, talk to me about the role that breath plays in helping us to get to awareness. Okay, so you notice that when you're nervous, your breath becomes shallow and you breathe rapidly. If you're angry, your breath has another kind of movement, uh, which is inflammatory. So any emotion that you have, whether it is uh, anxiety, anger, hostility, depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, or depression, there's a brain correlate to that. You can look at what's happening in the brain. Now, through these practices, we can change that. We can change the neural networks of the brain. That's called neuroplasticity. And in order to do that, you have to change even the activity of your genes because your genes are basically templates for information states but which genes are active and which genes are inactive is what matters. Imagine if I had a computer above my house and it was monitoring all the electrical appliances in my house and uh, it would automatically adjust the electrical appliances. If I walk into the kitchen, the kitchen would light up and the library, the lights would go down. If I walked into the screening room, the television set would go up and, you know, all of that. This is called epigenetic modulation of genes, metaphorically speaking. So you can learn to rewire your brain for what I call a joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, reflective, creative mind, and lightness of being. But not only can rewire your brain to do that, you can activate the genes that do the rewiring. And now that is all accepted science. It wasn't like 20 years ago. Well, Dr. Chopra, I think you're right um, that that is generally accepted. It is interesting to me that that is happening at the same time that we are piloting into a moment when we are 
lonelier, more anxious, and less happy as a culture than we were even 20 years ago. It feels like we might be rewiring in the wrong direction. So I guess I ask, like, is anybody capable of doing what you are suggesting? And how do we actually begin to cultivate it, not just at the individual level, but at the the societal level and the cultural level? So I have created a website. It's nonprofit. It's called neveralone.love. Check it out, www.neveralone.love. And we are creating online and offline communities with four simple ideas, attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. So affection means love in action, not just love without action, because love without action is irrelevant and action without love is meaningless. Love in action is what we call karma yoga, and that is called affection. Appreciation, noticing the unique gift that everyone has in the world. Acceptance, not trying to change anyone, but accepting them, radically accepting everybody as they are. So attention, affection, appreciation, which means gratitude. And we are connecting people with each other globally with this. And we've even deployed an emotional AI that talks to teens. Teens are nervous talking to a human being because they feel judged. But they're very happy with our emotional chatbot. Her name is Peewee. And she was that was the nickname of a recording artist that we knew who died from suicide. Mm. So now Peewee is also stands for personal interaction with intention. And Peewee has intervened in 6,000 suicidal ideations. She talks to 20 million people simultaneously. And uh, we are creating global communities, both online and offline, where people never feel alone. It is so compelling to me and so interesting that you offer up technology as a path for us to um, guide each other and ourselves to less loneliness. Because I sometimes think that technology can be the scapegoat, that we can blame our situation on technology. Um, are you optimistic about technology's impact? So, Jesse, I I believe technology is neutral and it's inescapable. We are using technology to do this interview, right? So technology can be used for diabolical purposes. Technology can be used for divine purposes. And it's up to us how we use it. <laughs> I believe that if we create global communities of caring, then we can rewire the global brain because what is the global brain? It's the internet. We can rewire the global brain for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. That's my goal. If we don't use technology, we become irrelevant. But right now, people are using technology to enhance their self-image, and they don't know what their self is. I jokingly say that, that our world has sacrificed themselves for their selfies. And now we don't know the difference between ourselves and our selfie. So, you know, if we can get people to actually embark on a journey of recognition of what the true self is through technology, that'd be a great gift for humanity. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, more with Dr. Deepak Chopra. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. 
So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. When Dr. Chopra talks about reaching our truest selves by living in the light, he's not talking about light. But since I had this time with him directly, I wanted clarification. What is the light? I remember here writing augmented reality stories early on. I remember visiting companies like Magic Leap and Oculus that were trying to make products that simulated reality by projecting realistic images directly to my brain. As Dr. Chopra spoke, I started to think about all reality as a projected experience to my brain. And the light? Well, the light is what's left when we turn off the projectors. The true light of awareness is the light of consciousness and awareness, not photons. Photons are colorless. They are massless. They're dimensionless. But you're experiencing a three-dimensional world with colors and shapes and objects. The brain doesn't produce experience. The brain is, as I said, a user interface for experiences. So if my brain isn't producing the experiences... Be patient with me here because I'm a hard student for you, I think, Dr. Chopra, but... No, you're good. What is producing the experience? What you What are. is producing the experience? You are. The real you is spaceless, is timeless, is borderless. If your consciousness doesn't have a form, there's nothing you can point out to. Just like the eyes cannot see themselves, the teeth cannot bite themselves, consciousness cannot see itself. Sensations, images feelings, thoughts, and perceptions, which we then call mind, body, and universe. Those are human constructs for an experience that is actually happening outside of space-time. So you, the real you, is not subject to birth or death. It is spaceless. It's infinite. It's formless. But without it, there would be no experience. It doesn't have color, but without it, there's no color. It doesn't have sound, but without it, there's no sound. It doesn't have sensation, but without it, there's no sensation. If I put a knife through your brain, you won't feel a thing, okay? Because the brain is the least self-aware organ in our body. It's like a computer that's monitoring everything that's happening in your body and regulating it. But the real you that is regulating the computer is timeless being. Mm -hmm. It's what spiritual traditions call the soul. Now, these days... 
it's kind of tricky to use words like soul, spirit, God, especially when you're at a neuroscience conference. Okay, they don't like these words. So we use the word awareness to represent the personal soul. It's your personal awareness. It's your conditioned mind. To represent the collective awareness, it's the collective brain on the internet. To represent the cosmic consciousness, it's outside of space-time, and that's where you are. To me, the most beautiful thing about living in that moment of awareness, that light, would be the idea that I wouldn't have all the garbage about the past weighing me down and running through my mind and generally making me unhappy, but I could live without it. These days, it's very fashionable for people to say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But the religious experience is a spiritual experience. If you look at all the religions of the world, Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Rumi, Buddha, any of the prophets, the experience is identical. There's only three things. And those three things is what living in the light really is all about. Number one is transcendence. You realize that you are eternal, immortal, not because somebody said it to you, but because you had the experience. Number two is the spontaneous emergence of what we call platonic qualities. Truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, peace. And number three is loss of the fear of death. Period. If you had those three things, you're all set, right? <laughs> Dr. Chipper, I laugh a little bit because you say in passing, oh, number three is loss of the fear of death. That is the central biggest definition to my like sense of, of humanity. Like humans are born and then we fear death. What dies is a perceptual activity that we call the body. What dies is a cognitive ability that we call the mind. But the experiences themselves are seeds for manifestation in, let's say, pure consciousness or the true self or the soul. They recycle, just like Information recycles, energy recycles, matter recycles, consciousness <laughs> recycles. Okay, so what I'm looking at right now is Jesse recycling as a body and a mind. And Jesse thinks that's what she is. She's her body, she's a mind. Then I say, okay, which body are you? You started as a fertilized ovum, then you were a zygote, then you were an embryo, then you were a baby, then you were a toddler, then you were a you know, teenager, then young adult, then mature adult, all the way to dusty death. So if you say, I am my body, which one? So the body is the most evanescent, ephemeral, transient thing you can think of. So is the mind. If I ask you, what were you thinking last week on Tuesday at four o'clock? You have no idea. But when you were thinking of that, it was pretty important to you. It might even be stressing you out. Okay, but now you can't even remember what you did. So just because we don't remember everything that's happened in our past doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I, if I said, right. did you have a 14th birthday? Of course you have it. Do you remember the 14th birthday in detail? Probably not. Okay, so who are you? You're not your body. You're the awareness in which the body is a changing experience. You're not your mind. You're the awareness in which the mind is in a changing experience. You're not your emotions. You're the awareness in which... The emotions are a changing experience. You're not your perceptual experience of the world. You're the awareness in which that is happening. That awareness, we say, I. 
See, I was two years old. I was five years old. Now, the body was different. The mind was different. The emotions were different. I was eight years old. Well, I don't have the emotions of an eight-year-old right now. Can I ask you a question building on that, Dr. Chopra? Um, One of our listeners, um, Christine, asked me specifically to ask you about how you think about the future. If we take as truth that the past is not who we are right this second, and if we live in the present, how can we live in the present and also plan for the future? Well, if you're really focused on what you're doing in the present, then the future is spontaneously guaranteed to be in the direction that your deepest desire is. So I do a practice where I ask myself four questions every day. Who am I? What do I want? What's my purpose? What am I grateful for? And I don't even try to answer those questions. I live those questions. And then life moves you into the answers. You don't need to know the answer. Life moves you. This is called spontaneous evolution. You don't have to plan the future. Hard work, exacting plans, driving ambition. You can be successful, but at the end of it, you'll have rotten teeth, heart attacks, drug addiction, divorce, and kids on all kinds of problems. So that is the way people achieve success. In my view, success is guaranteed when you're totally in the present moment, when you also redefine success as the progressive realization of worthy goals, as the ability to have love and have compassion. And most importantly, you're always in touch with your true self. Yeah. We're getting close to the end of our time. And I want to ask you a question about your own career, Dr. Chopra, because as long as I have been an adult and even before that, you have been a guide on these questions. When you look over the course of your career, do you think we humans have made progress on what you're teaching? And do you feel like you are making progress on what you are teaching? We've made a lot of progress collectively on these teachings and understanding of true self. But at the same time, we have a world that has full of conflict, war, terrorism, climate change, extinction of species, poison in the food chain, pandemics. And so as a result of living with that conditioned mind, which is recycling over eons of time, we are sleepwalking to extinction. We could, in fact, harness our collective love and compassion and creativity, which is the mission of our nonprofit foundation, to reach a critical mass, one billion people, for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world, so that they actually are the change they want to see in the world. So that's the answer to your first question. On my personal level, the tradition I come from, there are four stages of life. So the first 25 years is education. I did that, and I did a good education. The second 25 years is fame and fortune. I did that, and I was good. The third 25 years is actually giving back, which I just completed. I entered my 76th year. So the last 25 years are only about two things. One is living in the light, and the second is preparing for death. And that's what I'm doing, joyfully. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm very healthy. Well, congratulations very much on your 76th year. When you say preparing for death, Dr. Chopra, I think about that as a, a quest 
beyond health. It's ultimate well-being. See, the, the word health comes from the word holy, which means returning to the memory of wholeness, where you started from. You know, the T.S. Eliot poem, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of our exploring is to arrive where we started from and know the place for the first time. That's preparing for death, to remember where you came from. <laughs> the dream continues. This is a dream. If I ask you, you know, Wittgenstein, the great German philosopher said, our life is a dream. We are asleep, but once in a while, we wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. So if I asked you, Jesse, what happened to your childhood? You say, it's a dream. What happened to your teenage years? It's a dream. But if I asked you, what happened to last night? It's a dream. What happened to five minutes ago? It's a dream. What happens to my words? By the time you hear them, they don't exist. Even that's a dream. This is a dream. So I'm now preparing for the next dream. Well, thank you for spending so much time with us, Dr. Chopra. It was wonderful to have you in um, our virtual studios. Thank you. That was physician, author, and teacher, Dr. Deepak Chopra. His newest book, Living in the Light, is available now. You know, sometimes a podcast can be just an excellent jumping off point for more discussion, more community. And this week, we have two great opportunities to connect just a little bit more. Now, a lot of y'all know that we have started a group on LinkedIn, the Hello Monday group, and we'd love for you to join. You can click on the link right from the show notes, wherever it is you listen. Our community is a supportive place for career conversations. It's full of lovely and helpful people. I think of it as one of the kindest places you'll find on the web. We can't wait to welcome you there, so check it out. And as always, we'll be convening for office hours live on the LinkedIn news page. We'll talk about this week's episode, whatever it is that we have to talk about. We'll do it at 3 p.m. Eastern this Wednesday. So come find us. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com for a link. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show. It's engineered by Asaf Gidron. Rafa Faria, Wallace Truesdale, Kanaya Rogers, Michaela Greer, and Victoria Taylor help us connect to our highest selves. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And Viana, this episode made me think of you. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. I have to tell you, too, that my middle name is Joy. And for <laughs> most of that. my life... <laughs> yeah. Well, most of my life, I was very unhappy about that. I, I don't know why. I just felt oh angry God. at my mother I, for choosing it. Um, I would think that's the best. And now it feels like the greatest gift. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.